Welcome to Executive Leaders Radio. In this hour, you'll hear directly from our region's finest business leaders. Through each of the interviews, these high-achieving leaders become relatable role models who share how they were able to build their enterprise, their personal secrets of success, about leadership styles and opportunities that lie ahead. Prepare to be inspired and entertained and to hear wisdom unheard elsewhere. Executive Leaders Radio. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio, broadcast from Pretoria Law in Tyson's Corner, Virginia. This is your host, Herb Cohen, with my co-host, Brian Chandler, Pretoria Law. Joe Applebaum, Potomac Companies, Jennifer Wappas, Pagnato Carp, Tim Young, Young Marketing Consulting, and Anne-Marie Spadafuri. And we have a great lineup of guests for you on our show today, including Charlie Malamut, President of Malamut Enterprises, Nicholas Sabro. How do you pronounce your last name, Nicholas? Cerebro. Cerebro, Managing Director of The Clearing. Solomon Lutfi. Lutfi. Lutfi, President and CEO of TriVision, and Joe Meyer, Executive Director and CEO of Shelter House. Let's get to know our first guest, Charlie Malamut, President of Malamut Enterprises. Charlie, wh- what is Malamut Enterprises? It's a franchise of Domino's Pizza. Uh, how, many, uh, how many Domino's Pizzas do you own? I have 10 locations right now, about 200 employees. You have 10 locations and 200 employees. Where are you from originally? Queens, New York. How many brothers and sisters? One older brother. And what was going on at you with you when you were about 15 years old? Well, 15, I had a pretty dysfunctional household. Um, my father was relative, pretty sick. My brother was in and out of jail, gangs, all kinds of crazy stuff in New York. And uh, my mom had left and kind of was on my own from the age of 15 on. What do you mean you were on your own to the age, the age of 15? What are you talking well, about? Well, my, my father was in the hospital, my brother was in jail, and my mother would leave the house Wednesday morning, leave me with some food, a couple of bucks, and I wouldn't see her again until Sunday, mm-hmm. every week. Mm-hmm. Jen? Um, it seems like you had a lot going on. How did you get started with Domino's then? Well, Domino's began in college. One of my mentors, a gentleman by the name of Phil Bressler, he was a training director for Domino's when I was in college. And he kept telling me I should start driving for this company, that I would really like it. Um, it was everything that I enjoyed in life, coaching, playing sports, things so like that. So you started as a driver, though? I started as a driver uh, my senior year of college. And, and you own 10 stores now? Correct. And you had this mentor that really helped you yes. get into the business? Yes. Mm-hmm. Phil pushed me pretty mm-hmm. hard and mm-hmm. really taught me a lot about business, customer service, and that the tremendous opportunity was just really what appealed to me with dominoes. Emory? So you had a pretty tough childhood. What did you do for fun? I played a lot of sports and I worked hard. I had a paper route at an early age. I walked neighborhood dogs. I had a little bagel operation where I would deliver hot bagels to families on Sunday mornings. I was always keeping myself busy. So keeping yourself busy is fun for you? Uh, Yes, yes. Especially to get away from the stuff I was experiencing at home. Huh keeping yourself busy was a way for you to keep your was a way for you to keep yourself on the straight and narrow it sounds like definitely uh-huh my brian um you said your, your brother ran to some legal problems and you saw this happen uh, how, how, what made you decide that you were going to go a different route well exactly for that um i knew that at that stage of my life if i was going to make something out of myself it was up to me so i pushed myself very hard when it came to work and certainly getting into Domino's provided me that opportunity. This was a company, as a manager, they pay you 20% of the profits and that was very appealing. My mother had this little carpeting store on Long Island and when she talked to me about working for her, we were talking minimum wage. We weren't talking 20% of the profits, which is one of the reasons I got into Domino's. Because you felt that 20% of the profits was pretty motivating to you as opposed to getting a fixed salary? Absolutely. Not only that, I felt that I would be paid as good as I was. So if I ran my store with high sales and low labor and low food or medium food cost, that I was going to benefit more based on the, my own results. And to me, that was incredibly enticing. Plus the fact that there was an opportunity to buy my own store one day, which is what happened. Uh, I think 90% of all the Domino's franchisees today started as either a driver or a pizza maker mm-hmm. at one point in their career. Tim? Were you scared being on your own? I was, but I wasn't. I had a really good group of friends is really what saved me. These are still today. These are, I have four or five really great friends in second grade that are still in my life today. And without that, I may have gone a different way. But that, the influence of Phil Bressler, who I mentioned because I had known him since I was 10 years old, 
those things really helped keep me on the straight and narrow. So, so when you left Queens, was that hard to leave that behind? That was very, very hard. That was one of the hardest decisions I ever had to make because, you know, all I knew was that little world and going to Maryland from Queens, the only person I knew was Phil Bressler. Um, but I believed in him. I'd known him for a long time and I trusted him. And I knew if I worked hard, I would have a great opportunity and a better future. Huh. And Marie? Where do you get your courage? You know, sometimes I think when you don't have a lot and you have nothing to lose, it's kind of easy to be courageous. I think in some ways I'm less courageous today than I was now because now I have something to lose. Tell mm -hmm. me more about you saying less courageous these days. Well, in other words, if I make a mistake in business, you know, who knows what could happen. Things can go bad. Sales can go down. My people could leave me. Whereas then, I had nothing to lose back then. When you have nothing, you have nothing to lose. Jen, what do you think? How do you um, give back? Do you do mentoring or coaching uh, for absolutely. others? Absolutely. One of the things I'm proudest of in my business is I have eight or nine people that started for me as a driver, a pizza maker, that are now self-made millionaires working through the system. At one time or another, we've partnered in stores together. I have one uh, gentleman, uh, Brian Jandrew, at the age of 16, he was a pizza maker for me in Gaithersburg, Maryland, and he now owns 40 stores in South Florida, Domino's stores. And that, I can't be more proud of something like that. Oh, wait, 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 wait. So you, you, you're happy that you help these other people succeed? I thought business was like, you know, you kill people, it's competitive, and, you know, suing people and stuff like that. It's a win-win. When, when I get somebody in my organization that, what I say, they have a PhD, they're poor, hungry, and driven, and they're looking for an opportunity. I will mentor them. We will find an area that I know we can put our system of marketing, customer service, product service, image, all those great things that we do on an everyday basis. If we take that into any market in Domino's or really any business it applies to, that we're gonna be successful there. So normally what I'll do is if I have somebody like that in my organization, I will identify that area We'll purchase the first couple of stores. I'll do it with them. I'll help finance it. I'll do the office infrastructure and let them run the operation. And then at some point, eight to 10 years down the road, my money gets out and I let them buy me out. And it's a great win-win for my company. It's something I can point to, to the new people that come into my organization. And honestly, it makes me feel good. So are you saying that Domino's can educate business owners? Absolutely. It's usually every franchisee runs their company uh, as wait, if it's wait, Charlie's wait, 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 Pizza. Wait, wait, wait. What makes you feel good? When I see people that can become successful that started like I did and now have their own well, company. Well, I, I guess you know, you're a hot dog nowadays. 200 employees, 10 stores. I mean, you don't have to work nights or weekends or anything like that, do you? No, I don't, but I do because I enjoy it. Like I said, I, I really, truly enjoy seeing the young... I'm 53 What now. do you mean, no, but yes? Well, tell me more about that, because it would seem to me the American dream is, you know, you go to Florida or something, but you're telling me, no, you don't have to work, but yes, you want to? Well, I, I don't have to work, you know, Friday at midnight or Saturday at midnight anymore. I used to work 90 or 100 hours a week. I used to take naps in my car at 2 you know, p.m. when I first started. I was literally living in a garage in New York City when I first started with Domino's Pizza. And I'll never forget those days. And in order to never have to go back to that, I do have to keep working. I do have to keep, you know, motivating my people and pushing them to be better. So do I have to keep working like that? No. And I'm not saying I work 90 or 100 hours a week anymore, but I still work enough to have my hands on the business and know what's going on mm -hmm. in my operation. You married or single? Married. Any, you have any kids? Yes, what, I have. What's uh, how many kids do you have? Four kids. Uh -huh. What's the similarity between being a dad and being the uh, president of a 10 Domino's Pizzas? It's actually, I often say I have like 200 kids <laughs> because I find that I'm constantly, you know, mentoring people. And I, I, mean, I thought I, in I'm business, if they don't do their job, you just fire them. I read the newspapers. It's you get rid of people. You fire them. You don't care about them. Unless they're dishonest. Uh, disloyal or do something just blatantly illegal, I very rarely give up on people. If someone's giving me an honest effort, trying their hardest, I will go the extra mile to save them or try to turn them around. I've been to, uh, you know, AA meetings with employees. I have scraped people out of bed and taken them to the hospital. I can't even tell you over the years how many times I've had to really get involved in people's did you, did lives. You find to try that, to help did turn you find that in a textbook or uh, where'd that come from? 
I think it's just growing up without having a lot and knowing what that's like and knowing that if I give up on this person, you know, it's not like they have a college resume and they can go get a great job somewhere. If, if, if they can't make it with us, they're going to head down a bad path sometimes. Mm-hmm. What's the most fulfilling part about your job? Honestly, I think it's when I see people that have come up through my system and have gone out to own stores elsewhere and become successful and have a family and duplicate what we've but done But that's here. not putting any money in your pocket. Uh, sometimes it is because it's a win-win. I, I get involved. I'm, I'm a partner for the first few years until I get what I feel is a reasonable rate of return on my money. And then I let them fly. And then again, I'm getting it on the back end by showing the people that work for me, the guy who's coming in the door tomorrow can look on my wall in my office and see the you know eight people up there that have owned their own stores now. What's a, what's a website address for your organization? Dominoes.com. Let me have that one more time. Dominoes.com. We've been speaking with a Charlie Malamud, who's the president of Malamud Enterprises here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com. Learn more about our executive leaders. It's executiveleadersradio.com. Learn more about our executive leaders. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. And name an organization. Andrea Dykes, Howard Insurance. And, and what, what do you got? What are you doing at Howard Insurance, Andrea? I'm the managing partner. Managing partner. And uh, what makes Howard Insurance different? We create better financial outcomes for our clients. Huh. What do you mean by that? We feel that the insurance industry is complacent, transactional, and not holistic in its approach. Mm-hmm. And uh, where are you from originally? Rockville, Maryland. How many brothers and sisters? One younger brother. Uh-huh. How are you guys different? He's more technical, analytical. He's an engineer. Uh-huh. And you? I'm more big picture, visionary. Uh-huh. So maybe that's one of the reasons your clients are getting better results with you is you're going in and really trying to understand the big picture of their insurance needs and then helping them figure out what the products were as opposed to just trying to duplicate what they got, huh? And uh, what kind of sports did you play as a kid? Basketball and then field hockey and lacrosse. Uh-huh. What made you different in those sports? Basketball, you can't tell from radio, but I was half the size of the folks I played with, and I led the team uh, for both field hockey and lacrosse as captain. Why did they ask you to do that? They trust my leadership, and they know that I value them for their role within the organization. What do you mean you value value them for their role in the organization? What are you talking about? I know what I'm good at, and I know what other folks bring to the table, and I rely on them for their expertise or their stature. In so the case maybe of that's one of the reasons you've got a reputation of doing great client service because you're able to bring the right team to the client and make sure that the team's nailing it for the client as opposed to trying to do it all yourself or you know, leaving holes uncovered. That's that right. Fair? Uh-huh. What's the website address of your organization? Howard-insurance.com. Let me have that one more time. Howard-insurance.com. And your name again is? Andrea Dykes. Andrea Dykes, and it's Howard Insurance. And don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com. That's executiveleadersradio.com. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. And your name and organization is? Henry Stever. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer with the National Association of Corporate Directors. Well, what is the National Association of Corporate Directors? What are you guys doing? NACD is the largest organization in the world focused exclusively on helping corporate directors and boards lead with confidence in the boardroom. And our mission is to identify, interpret, and deliver insights about emerging issues that may impact corporate boards around the world. All right. So you you mentioned, you told us earlier that um, you were involved with the Marines at one point. I'm trying to figure out what you learned in the Marines that's helping you nowadays in your role. Well, when I was in high school, my great uncle, who was a West Point grad of 1944, who went right into the Battle of the Bulge, said, Henry, you don't know really what you're going to do when you grow up, but leadership is really important. And while I was going to go to Duke and play football, he said, there's this company or this organization uh, that's called the Naval Academy, and they have boats, and you like boats because as a kid, and you like to play sports, and they have sports. But they are one of the best leadership training organizations in the world, and it's called the Naval Academy. And what did you learn there that you're using nowadays? What did you learn there that you're using nowadays, the Naval Academy? Everything you do, I believe, whether you're a young kid or, or a mature adult, mm-hmm. it's all about leadership. Uh, and and what, what's the, what's the, what turns you on about the role that you've got nowadays? Didn't you tell me something about leaving something for your kids? What was that about? Well, it's really about the end result and the outcomes of what boards can do. Because at the end of the day, we all want and hope for a prosperous growing economy and every company has a board of directors or should have a board of directors mm-hmm. and at the end of the day boards of directors oversee the affair economic affairs of the company Excellent. so therefore 
boards the, oversee the economy. And what's the, uh, what's the website address for this organization? What's your website address? It's nacdonline.org. Let me have that one more time. nacdonline.org. And we've been speaking with Henry Staver, Chief Marketing Officer of the National Association of Corporate Directors here on Executive Leaders Radio. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Nicholas Cerebro, Managing... Uh-huh. Cerebro. Cerebro, Managing Director of The Clearing. What is The Clearing? The Clearing is a management consulting firm. Uh-huh. And how large or how small is this firm? We have approximately 80 consultants with $14 million in revenue this year. And where are you from originally? Lafayette, California. How many brothers and sisters? One younger brother. Brian? Yes, let's talk a little bit about how you first started making money. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. At the first time I started making money, I was 10 and I was self-employed. I was an insurance salesman. You're an insurance salesman. Tell us a little bit about that. I remember seeing an ad when I was a kid on TV, and I saw this nice, young, dapper gentleman uh, walking up with a briefcase and sitting down to a family and selling them stuff. And I said, that looks really neat. I want to do that. So I went out, got a briefcase, and start, went and pitched my parents. Wait, wait, wait. wait. How, how old were you when you, got it, when you went out and got this briefcase? Uh, 10 or 11. This is a true story, huh? Absolute true story. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was a leather briefcase. Loved wow. it. Square. Brian, uh-huh. So, you, so you're, you're creative in your business efforts from the beginning, then, I take it? Absolutely. Okay. Well, what about what did you do after this, uh, this, this situation being uh, selling insurance? You made the sale, right? Oh, absolutely. Made the sale. <laughs> uh, what did you do next? Uh, then I went and tried to get more money from them, uh, add-on policies. No, at the age of 14, uh, I became a paper boy. Okay. And what did you do different as a paper boy um, relative to other paper boys that you saw? So what... One thing that about me is that I'm very, very competitive, and the paper would routinely put out st- statistics on all the paper boys and how many houses and how many retention. And I saw the list and thought to myself, I want to be number one. So I went, quickly went out, talked to the other two people there, got them to work underneath me, and I became the biggest sector in my region. And you were number one on the list? Absolutely. Stayed there until okay. I left. And then, did you uh, did you have any other job oppor- opportunities as a as a youth uh, after the paperboy? Yeah, I got a job at um, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Oh, Work. right. You talked about how you liked the secret shop, or you wanted to get the secret shop. Tell us about that. Yeah, I remember getting uh, every week we would have a staff meeting, and the boss always come, came around and said, "Make sure that you guys get prepared because there's secret shoppers coming." And every week they'd come by, and I'd run to see who actually got the secret shopper, and I was always mad that I never got them. Because so I knew that I would beat the score of the last guy. So as, afraid, as opposed to being afraid of being secret shopped, you sort of looked forward to it. You yeah, I treated everyone like they were the secret shopper. Uh-huh. Jen? Um, where did this business sense or want to be in business kind of come from? It uh, came from my parents. Um, both of them are uh, serial entrepreneurs. Uh, my mom has th- three businesses right now, and my dad has his own business. Um, and what was their background? Uh, so they are uh, immigrants from Argentina, and they literally came to this country on the back of a Japanese freighter. And when I say on the back of a Japanese freighter, they were literally eating dinner, all their meals, on a patio table, uh, patio furniture on the back of the boat with all the Japanese salesmen. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see, didn't, uh, Jen, you had something, you were uh, talking to Nicholas earlier about his people skills. What was that all about? Yeah, so how young were you when you realized um, how you can get people to fit together and come together fr- from a team environment? I, I think it's when I was the paper boy and I realized that um, by myself, I wasn't going to be able to achieve my goal. But if I start getting people around me who can uh, supplement what I don't have, that's when I said, oh, boy, that, I got it. And so, so that's when I started learning to build relationships. So that's when that's how you got the other paper boys to work with you. Absolutely. But isn't that what you do? I mean, this, this organization known as The Clearing, mm-hmm. isn't that the role you play as managing director in The Clearing is figuring out where everybody fits, especially because you're in the consulting business? That's the essence of the real business. Who's good for which client and where does everybody fit? Absolutely. And I think the key to that is realizing your flat sides. And in my case, there's a lot. Of, I don't know if I'm 360 or not, but there's a lot of flat sides. And I tend to build teams around me with people who are smarter and fill the certain needs of our customers and our clients. So part, so your job in the firm is to figure out who needs which of your team members and where your team members fit there. It's the same stuff you were doing back when you were a kid. Absolutely. It's about making the client and the customer happy. And that huh. leads to more business. Interesting. And Marie, what do you got? What are you thinking? So what values drive you? Uh, I would say competition mm-hmm. uh, and, and to a uh, point, integrity, because I think those two together um, is the recipe to grow and to sell more, right? Because if your clients trust you and like you, 
then it's not really, you're not selling them anything. They're naturally wanting to get more from you. What about your parents' experience? How did their struggles shape you? Well, I just saw how they came to this country with literally nothing, a backpack, and, you know, traveled back and forth across the country with $100 back then. And now they're very successful and they're very, uh, they're well off. And I see that in the competitive side of me wants to say, I want to be better than they are. So I remember when I bought my first car that was better than my dad's, I called him up and said, ha, my car is more expensive than yours. Uh, what did he say? He says, great. <laughs> great. How are you doing at your job? <laughs> Tim, questions. So uh, competitiveness, yes. uh, a, a big part of who you are. It um, is. I'm curious about uh, a time when you failed. What happened? Oof, I failed a lot. Um, and whether it's a, a, a client that we didn't get or a proposal that we didn't win, what happens is I get, I get really down on myself and I feel, see myself as a failure. And there'll be like a, it takes me a little bit to recharge. But then what I do is I use that failure as the motivation to beat what I just lost at. So you're, so you're resilient, but as opposed to using the word, it's like you really feel like you don't want to lose. And if you do, you use that as a way to motivate yourself further. Yeah. Um, if not, I would probably just keep spinning down and down and down. And I don't want to do that. I've got uh -huh. certain goals for myself. All right. Who's got the next question for Nicholas? Where does the work ethic come from? I think it's always been there. I think it's because I see that as success. I think the harder you work, the more successful you're going to be. And um, as early as a kid, I always had jobs and played sports. So uh, I always equated working with So this, this, this fact that you were 10 years old and you went out and bought yourself a briefcase. Yep. Uh, which is a pretty, you know, number one, it shows that you're a planner, mm -hmm. you're a thinker, mm -hmm. you know, and that you're prepared to make an investment in yourself in order to make things happen. How's that showing up nowadays, that briefcase? Um, it shows up in, in figuring out how is my, am I going to get my team to grow, both as professionals and um, in service of our clients. And so, uh, for example, I have a client now that we started with a very small project, and now I've got 10 to 12 people working on that client. And I think it's consistently looking at how are you going to build this in the future? And how's it going to scale? So do you think you're going to ever retire? No. Why, why not? Why, I'll be why bored. Not? Well, wait a minute. I, th I, get it. I thought the American dream was, you know, you get to be 60 or 65 and you sit on the sofa or you go to Florida. But that's not what you're thinking about doing? No, because I could see myself if I'm 60 and I'm going down to Florida and on shuffleboard, I'll be trying to beat either a 60-year-old there. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you, re you really enjoy work. I do. I do. I, um, I do it all the time. And I've been able to learn to turn it off and on a little bit. Um, but it's really hard. I just had a vacation and I, I just couldn't turn it off. And my, my well, kids were really pissed. What, what is it about work you enjoy? I enjoy uh, achievement and getting somewhere and success mm -hmm. and saying, you know what? We did this together. Uh, -huh. uh it's interesting you just said that we we did this together so mm -hmm. it's not like you win and everybody loses. no 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 I, I like i said i've got a lot of flat sides so i view it as we are winning uh it's not just me winning wow so I, you know i again i read the newspapers and it looks like you know it looks like the guys the winner are the ones that make sure that everybody else loses but you're not that way the way i hear you talking about it is it's all about the team because you know you can't win alone. You really need the team to win. Absolutely. What's the website address of your organization? Theclearing.com. Let me have that one more time. Theclearing.com. And uh, your name again is? Nicholas Cerebro. That's what I have here, Nicholas Cerebro. He's the managing director. Oh, you of did the it clearing. right. Uh, the managing director of The Clearing here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com. Learn more about our executive leaders. And we'll be back in a moment right after this quick break. Want to help building your business with help from this show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that. They've succeeded in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars, and some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars, and some are available to advise you. Now, 
email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. And your name and organization is? Amanda Jennison with Bates Creative. And what is Bates Creative? What do you guys do? So Bates Creative is a full-service creative agency, and we work with clients to help tell their brand stories across all platforms, print and digital. Uh-huh. What's your role in the organization? I'm the marketing director there. So you're the marketing director of an organization that helps clients with marketing. That's correct. Uh-huh. How young were you when marketing began to show up in your blood as a kid? Give me an example. So looking back in middle school when I was around 12 years old, I'd work with some of my friends during recess to draw, you know, bring the stories in our brains to life and um, helping, you know, bringing those personalities out. So you were, tr- you were, <laughs> you remember at 12 years old play, doing art with your friends and mm-hmm. trying to help them express their personalities through art in other ways? That's correct, yes. Oh, what's the connection between that and what you're doing with Bates Creative nowadays? So today what we do with our clients is really, you know, working with them and discovering what their authentic brand stories are and helping them work through the challenges of how they're telling those stories across their website, their print products, collateral, events, you Sounds name it. to me like what you were doing at 12 years old, you're doing not only for the internal members of your team, but also you're helping them do that for their clients, for the clients of Bates Creative as well. Yeah. And uh, so you're, you're familiar with the physical world stuff as well as the digital world stuff? That's correct, yeah. I guess in order to really help a client out, you've got to be familiar with it all. Otherwise, you're not really helping the client, whether it's a billboard they need or a website. Right. A brand really needs to be able to communicate across all those platforms in a consistent way. So that's what we help them accomplish. A brand needs to communicate across all those platforms in a consistent way. Well, I see you're providing value in your service. What's the website address for this organization? BatesCreative.com. Let me have that one more time. BatesCreative.com. And your name is? Amanda Jennison. And this has been your business spotlight. And your name is? Kirsten Holmes. And Kirsten, what organization are you with? Keepers Staffing. And what does Keepers Staffing do? So we are a staffing agency um, providing talent acquisition. What's what's that mean? What are you talking about? Um, For our clients, uh, we fill positions for them um, or provide temporary assistance. So you're helping businesses get people. We are. Uh Uh-huh. How do you know what a business needs? That goes with meeting our clients. Um, We believe in face-to-face meetings, conversations, really digging deep. So you're meeting with your clients? Yep, I am. And when you're talking with them, do they always know what they need? No. (laughs) So you're helping them define what they need? Yes. And sometimes is what they need, uh, what they think they need a little different than what you think they need? Yes. Do you (laughs) tell them that? I do. Uh Actually, I do. So you want to make sure you're clear before you get a job order. Yes, Uh absolutely. And uh, then what do you do? Well, uh, we create that business relationship um, with them. We're really matchmakers, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, trying to find them the talent that they're looking for to make their lives easier. Mm -hmm. So then you're going through databases and making calls and doing all that. Or actually, it's your people that are doing that, right? Yeah, my team. Yep. So what's your role in the business? I am the manager of the branch in Alexandria. So let's see. So you're meeting with clients and you're also helping the recruiters recruit. Yep, I do that as well. So you've got a clever side to you. You know all the tricks of the trade. (laughs) I guess you can say Uh, that. What's the best part of your job? Um, Really, the people. Um, I love my team. Uh, Being a leader is very important to me. What's the best part about being a leader? What do you like about leading? Um, I really like being that uh, motivator. Um, you know, for my team and for our, our associates, which is our mm-hmm. staff. Well, that's interesting. So you're not yelling and screaming at people, huh? No. What's the website address of this organization? It's keepersstaffing.com. Let me have that one more time. Keepersstaffing.com. And your name is? Kirsten Holmes. And this has been your business spotlight. We're back here listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Solomon Lutfi, who's the president and CEO of an organization known as TriVision. Solomon, what, what is TriVision? What are you guys doing? Uh, TriVision is a marketing and media communications company. Uh huh. And how large or how small is this firm? Uh, we have about 35 employees here in this area and 20 employees in Afghanistan. Uh huh. Three you locations fr- here. Where you're from? Where you're from originally? Originally from Kabul, Afghanistan. Uh huh. How young were you when you came to the United States? I was about uh, 14 years old. 14 years old. 13. 14. Why? Why did you come to the United States? Uh, well. Uh, the, the war in Afghanistan uh, uh, in uh-huh. the situation there. Uh, father, I see. Brothers How many brothers and sisters school. do you have? Uh, we are three brothers and a sister. I'm the oldest. So you're the oldest of four? Yes. Uh-huh. Brian? Uh, when, when, your, when you and your family came over to the United States, what did your father do to sort of make, make ends meet in the new world? 
How well, is it different than what he did in Afghanistan? My father had a manufacturing factory in Afghanistan with almost 400 employees, and he came here, uh, had a showroom, and that kind of with the war in Afghanistan, a factory being looted and destroyed, he tried to continue the business here, but unfortunately with that, it didn't work, and we saw it go down to almost nothing. And so what happened then? What did your father do? He didn't give up. He continued to um, trying that business at the same time allowed us to help support us for our creative ideas and different projects we were working on. And, mm-hmm. and how did this affect you growing up? Where did, how, did, how did it drive you forward? Um, well, from an early age, he was our role model. He always supported us and provided us the guidance and the tools and equipment and encouraged us to do anything we we're good at. And uh, he was the kept the family together and gave us the guidance always, especially very business-minded mm-hmm. entrepreneurs. Jen? Um, your family was very entrepreneurial. How old were you when you had your first business card? At a very young age, uh, as I was saying, uh, while my father's business was kind of going away, we started our own business, um, this company called TriVision 1992, had my business cards in high school, and we were who actually doing who some business. Who you start said we. Mm-hmm. Who, who are you talking about? I'm ta- talking about my three brothers. We're three brothers and a sister. Uh, at that time, my sister was much younger, but uh, especially uh, as three brothers. So you all worked together? Yes, the whole family worked together. Starting from when you were in high school? Uh, in, in high school, yeah. Sophomore year, TriVision was established, and uh, we were actually doing real business and making money. By senior year, I opened an office uh, with my brothers outside the house and uh, actually had clients coming in and, and, and rented an office. So you, you mentioned that um, when you were in Afghanistan, you, you know, your dad was doing well with 400 employees, and he bought you some, um, some fancy dancy video equipment that you were playing with as a kid. And that's the reason you started the video-related business here. Am yes. I correct about that? With that's your with your brother, with your sister and brothers. Yes. Uh, he always w- he traveled a lot, and he brought equipment from uh-huh. keyboard. And, and you mentioned that when you started this business, it was in the house, and you know you would have clients, you would have customers coming into the house, and mom would be cooking dinner. <laughs> And, you know, they'd be walking there. So it was really a family business. It was. And, and at that anytime clients would come in, it was hard to have, you know, a dining table, meet a client as a conference room or anything. So and we, I we I had to rent something and outside. And are, are your brothers and sisters still involved in the business? We're all still together, yes. Uh-huh. Anne-Marie? So what special traits do you bring to business as an immigrant, someone who was born in another country and came to the U.S.? Um, immigrants always... Uh, you know, they have this drive in them. They always want to achieve. Uh, they leave something behind. They have to prove it again. So that uh, motivation is there. And y- you what do you see mean you have to try. prove? What do you mean you have to prove? What are you talking about? Because you have seen something. Most people think of immigrants that they have nothing, but usually they have something. Their parents, the school, or they leave s- everything behind to start something all over again. So you remember what it was like when Dad had 400 employees and was wealthy in Afghanistan? Oh yeah, we had chauffeurs, cooks, uh, everything. I mean, that big life. And from that to come here, and uh, still we had a good life here because he had some money, unlike some others who leave everything. But he literally lost it all here, too, down to zero. The business closed, no more money. And uh, from that small business, we started with nothing. We started making enough money that with the help and guidance of him, it actually opened offices from one to two and three. Uh, and hired employees. Wait, 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 wait. So, so dad has seen his kids stick together and build this business. Mm-hmm. How do you think he feels about that? Uh, very proud. How do you know that? I've seen it in him. What do you mean? Uh, to him, he one day he said actually, and we have seen him, he's like having, achieving this through my kids uh, was the biggest goal for him. And seeing us continue his tradition, what he started with his family from nothing at a young age, and us doing the same thing, uh, it, it, that's what he wanted. Uh-huh. How do you think your mom feels about this whole thing? Uh, she's also very proud, the backbone of our family. So Kept everyone together. So when mom, uh, when you started the business and used the house as your office, did your mom ever make meals for any of the customers? Oh yeah, she continued until almost 10 years ago. She would bring food. Even right now, sometimes she sends food to everyone, not just us, to employees. She always supported us in different ways. She She... Your employees know your mother? Oh, yes. And your mother brings food into the office? When she came, she did anything she could to support us, from food to but moral isn't support. Isn't or or why would you let her do Isn't that messing up like the energy? I mean, doesn't that mess up the culture, the fact that people aren't getting work done? They're sitting around eating and okay. talking with your mother? Actually, we used the lunchtime to get to work with our employees in team building. It, it helped us a lot. We, Our employees are like family. Some of them actually work from that time till now, 20 years or more with us. Well, why do they... 
Oh, is that why they stick around? Because I guess they free feel lunch. Like <laughs> 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 no big salaries, but free food. Uh-huh. Everyone together. Who's got the next question? Was it hard? You've been working in a family business your whole life. I mean, I imagine there's there's conflict there. Um, what uh, uh, you know? How do you manage that? Having a family business, you actually is the best thing, and and sometimes not very easy because you you have the people you trust, like family to trust on, and you have a team but at the same time you can fire employees but not family members so very challenging also so how do you guys keep it going what happens we try to divide roles i mean we have different talents and capabilities and we have seen that in each other from the very beginning and that allowed us to grow the company and at the same time we use those uh, strengths and weaknesses to make it even stronger so we have different visions or capabilities and we try to who helped you appreciate uh, the siblings strengths and weaknesses did you implicitly know that or who helped you sort that out uh, I think having that my father's business and us always doing things together, even projects at a young age and, and, and doing, using our skills, creativity, vision, or different skills to achieve something together, that helped us. It's always been the case in that we, being a part of a team and playing with a team, especially as family, and seeing that has helped us stay together and grow together. Huh. That's interesting. Who's got the next question here? Was it hard um, when your father's business failed? Um, and how how did you guys have the charisma to start your own business back up again? Um, because we always, like, we're entrepreneurs from a young age with my father starting from nothing and growing the business. Despite the war, he didn't give up. He didn't sell the business to bring the money and emigrate outside. He left because he had to. He didn't give up on, on the business. He actually opened an office, a branch office here. He could have easily sold things and come with the money and start something different or keep the money. But he believed in always continuing. You know, actually, the business may have closed, but we kept the name in operation and to this day in Afghanistan. And here the name is registered for his business and the TriVision business. So we, we never actually closed it per se, but we, want, we believed in starting a business or doing something. It's just a division of that business that he had. Uh-huh. Even registering this business, we started as a branch. Uh-huh. So you b- there's just something about the lineage, just something about the history. Just very about the, the heritage is very important to us. And until now, we actually talk about that. What do you talk about what? The history where he had a business for over four years and, and the business we started 25 years with his help. We actually originally established it as a branch or a division of that business. I see. That's how it started. Emory? What would you like your legacy to be? Um, to perfect question at the ad- right time. Achieve um, what we started with nothing, and actually to grow this business and, and and leave something behind for our kids, and and hopefully they are interested in what we have done, and not only here and go back home to Afghanistan and uh, is that they the pur- also start something. Uh, is that the purpose of the business? Not really. We are an American business, and we have grown here. We have locations all over, but. But I heard something in your voice when you talked about go back to Afghanistan. What's that about? More than anything for my father, actually, he um, to not let his dreams and what he tried fail. Wow. Wow. Uh, next question. Who's got it? Mm-hmm. Uh, when you came uh, to this country, y- you know, you were younger. Um, how did you fit in? Uh, not easy. As, uh, as I was in a French school in Afghanistan, English learned it just from mo- watching movies <laughs> uh, taking ESL classes at the same time we were good in math and science things but not English and of course at that age you're in high school can't speak the language very well so it was not easy and kids would make fun of you but creativity and uh, sports really helped us I played good soccer and also I was good with video design and stuff that made me stand out and I always tried to be different and I actually took that as a pride Wow. So there's, there's a great deal of family pride here. I heard about, you know, it really, it really motivates you fulfilling dad's legacy and continuing the family, um, the family heritage. Yes. Uh-huh. It's all about, oh, that's interesting. And the way that you managed to fit in was some of your design and creative abilities and some of your video abilities as well as with sports. So you learned how to develop relationships. Has that helped you in business? A lot uh, because... Um, pushing, I mean, th- th- even our business, uh, combining creativity with video and 
designing s- these separate disciplines where you used to be printing separate and design sure. and video separate. We combine these what's fields the, and, and using technology to make it bigger and better. What's the website address for this organization? It's uh, trivision.com. Let me have that one more time. Trivision.com. We've been speaking with Solomon Lutfi, President and CEO of Trivision here on Executive Leaders Radio. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. And your name is? Ray Briscuso. And Ray, what organization are you with? Life Sciences Conference Group. And what is Life Sciences Conference Group? What do you folks do? We produce annual conferences and events for medical technology, life science, pharmaceutical companies. Uh-huh. So if I go to an event, you're the folks that are working behind the scenes to make it happen? That's correct. We're the ones that make sure the food's on the table, the seats are there, soundstage and lights are there, your registration process works. And, and what kind of events are these? Are these just in the life science industry? Strictly in the life science industry. Why, why do you focus on the life science industry? Uh, we found that the best way to produce a high-quality event is to really know your customer. So we don't believe in numbers. It's names. We get to know each company. We find out what their actual mission and goals are, and we find the best way to deliver the value to them. And are you doing this nationally or regionally? We do it nationally. We're continue to look for international opportunities, but it's primarily here in North America. And how old is this company? Uh, the company has just finished its 10th year. And how long have you been with the company? I founded the company 10 years ago. What gave you the idea to start this company? I used to work for a big corporation, and I produced the annual event for us. And when I decided to leave, they said, thank you for giving us $150 million worth of a business, and we'll see you later. Mm-hmm. And next time, I decided I would keep some ownership and do it myself. Uh, so you've been, building, you've been building this ever since. What do you like about your job? I like how different it is because we mix policy, we mix business. I might be putting one CEO together with a politician. I might be putting another CEO together with an investor. Mm-hmm. And I might be putting the next person together with their next employee. How interesting. Well, what's the website address for this organization? Medtechconference.org. Let me have that one more time. Medtechconference.org. Org. And the name of the organization again is? A Life Sciences Conference Group. Life Sciences Conference Group. And your name is? Ray Briscuso. Ray Briscuso. We've been talking to Ray Briscuso, CEO and managing partner of Life Sciences Conference Group here on Executive Leaders Radio. This has been your business spotlight. And your name is? Jeff Lawson. And Jeff, what organization are you with? I'm with Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And wh- what do you guys do? What kind of stuff are you doing that's special? Well, we manage uh, conference centers and hotels, and we're currently managing the National Conference Center in Leesburg, Virginia. National Conference Center. How large or how small is this organization? Um, The conference center itself has 900 rooms in size, 350,000 square feet of meeting space, dining facilities for 850, uh, exercise facility all set on 61 acres of land. Wow, this is a large organization, isn't it? It is, very large. Uh-huh. And what's your role in the organization? I'm the general manager, and I've oversight of the uh, property and all the hospitality services that occur. Well, what's the general manager supposed to do with this large facility? Make sure, I have a, make sure eight executive committee members and a, and a full uh, staff of 210 do their daily jobs. So how many folks do you have running through your halls on a weekly basis or daily basis or annual basis? What's that look like? Well, on a weekly basis on a full house, we'll have uh, 900 per night, um, seven nights, uh, 6,300, which translates to about 20,000 meals a week. Wow. And uh, your job, are you working nine to five or do you end up having to work evenings and early mornings and weekends and stuff like that? No, I'd say I'm always on duty. Uh-huh. Do you, wh- what do you enjoy about your job? Meeting people, working with some of the finest hospitality people in Virginia, which is my team, and meeting our clients. They're wonderful. So you're helping your clients plan their events? Well, we help plan. Uh, they are there for some form of education that goes on at one end of our business. And at the other end of our business, they're there for social catering events, uh, weddings and such. So you're, you're, well you're running a 24 by 7 facility, aren't you? We are. Uh-huh. What's the website address of this organization? Conferencecenter.com. Let me have that again. Conferencecenter.com. And your name again is? Jeff Lawson. And the name of the organization? Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And this has been your business spotlight. One help building your business with help from the show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. Some of the CEOs who have appeared on our shows over the last 10 years may be willing to help you grow 
assuming you've ser- you're serious about your success, serious about your own success, because it all starts with the leader. If you're serious about creating your own successful business or truly committed to putting your nose to the grindstone and doing whatever it takes to make your business successful, we may be able to match you with successful CEOs who have created millions of jobs and earned millions of dollars to help you create your success. We've established unique relationships with a unique universe of over 7,000 CEOs who have created substantial wealth for their companies, their teams, and themselves. These women and men get the build in their blood and often continue to start and build businesses even after they've created substantial wealth for themselves because they love the challenge of building a business. Perhaps we can present you and your business to some of these CEOs to gain their interest in helping you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com to hopefully match you with some of the CEOs we've had on the show for the last 10 years. Mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Joe Meyer, Executive Director and CEO of Shelter House. Joe, what is Shelter House? Shelter House is a private nonprofit here in Northern Virginia that uh, serves homeless families and victims of domestic violence. And how large or how small is the organization? We're about a $6.5 million organization. We have about 110 employees, 60 of them being full-time. And how many folks do you help a year? About 1,600, and the majority of them children. Uh-huh. Brian? Yeah, uh, Joe... You, earlier in the green, you talked a bit about how you were involved in sports growing mm-hmm. up and how important that was for you. Can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit about what sports you played and what was your role? Sure, yes. I, I played uh, basketball, baseball, and football growing up ever since I was little um, all through uh, college. And uh, that's where I think a lot of the loyalty, dedication, hard work was really instilled in me. And those are some of the real values you you, you believe that you, you, you got out of your sporting activity Absolutely. growing up? Absolutely, Absolutely. And uh, and also, I think you said in some ways sports made you closer to your father. Yes, very Can much you so. tell us a little bit about that? So, yeah, my dad um, coached me and my brothers ever s- since we were little. He um, was always with us out in the yard when we were not of age to play and then made sure that he was he was off work in time to uh, coach us in just about every sport. And, and you played a lot with your brothers, too, I take it? Yes, yes, three and, brothers. And you're mm-hmm. close to your brothers? Yes, yeah, we grew up together, um, still very close. Mm-hmm. Jen? What made you get into the service industry to be of service to people? You know, I think it was, looking back, I think it was opportunities um, and positions that my parents put me in. Um, had opportunities to go to private school and they put me in um, a vocational or private school where it was um, a little bit more diverse and I think it was at that point when I I noticed that people or my classmates my peers were were looking up to me um, and it put me in a position where it kind of set my own expectation with within me to do a little bit better. Wait um, a minute. There's a lot of stuff going on there. So you were, you were, you, what kind of group were you in? What was that? So uh, in in school, they put me in a peer group. What um, kind of peer group? What are you it talking was about? it was about eight students, yeah. and it was kids that uh, came from my situations, which is an intact family, which I consider you know a privileged family now, and yeah. um, kids that didn't come from so much privilege. So there were some kids that were having some issues going on. Yes. Uh huh. And they put you in with these kids. Yes. Uh huh. What did you learn from that experience? Well, again, we went in, or I went in, not as a mentor type. I went in as a peer. So from that experience, I learned that you know these kids with these backgrounds have I, I have I have similar issues than them, and they have similar issues. So it's to not me. a matter of who had more money; it's a matter of the fact that you came from an intact family, and they didn't necessarily. You saw that being the difference, and it sounds to me like you acted like your father at that point. You acted as the coach. I did. What yeah. are you talking about? Uh, um, I, looking back, I think it's it's just that it's just that opportunity to to be there for somebody else to help pick them up. Um, Isn't that what you do nowadays for a living? I do. Isn't yes. that what? So what you did back then with that group, that peer group, as you call it, where maybe it really wasn't peers because some you were from a family that was intact and they weren't, but you're calling it a peer group. But you're seeing everybody as being equal. And you're calling it an opportunity of being able to help them. Isn't that what you do nowadays? I do, yes. What are you talking about? Well, I, to me, I, I really define success not necessarily how much money is made or how much widgets are made. It's, it's more about seeing people happy. Um, 
And when I see people happy, whether it's the employees that work for Shelter House or whether it's the people that we serve or whether it's the kids that we serve, that's, how that's young, what I How young were you when you realized that's what turns you on to seeing people happy? It's, it's hard to pinpoint um, exactly when that was, but I think it was... I think it was when when I was in in high school, young in high school, and I was um, put on a pedestal, so to speak. And it was because I was a good athlete. It was because I was a good student. And again, the ki- my classmates didn't necessarily have the opportunities that I had. And so, just but as opposed to being a snot and driving the fanciest car, you wanted to make other people feel good. Uh, well, yes, I did. But okay, also, my parents didn't allow me to do that. Also, ah, Emory. <laughs> So how do you see parts of yourself and the people that you help? Um, again, I, th- I, I think we're all, we're all the same person. We all come from the same place. And what do you I mean we're all the same? Well, I, I was given what I consider life of privilege. Um, and a lot of other people haven't been given that. So not that I see you didn't come from You didn't come from a wealthy family. No, I didn't. Um, but wealth... Again, wealth doesn't necessarily define what privilege is to me. Um, it's it's more about it's more about feeling fulfilled and having that fulfillment of what brings fulfillment to you. And to me, it's seeing somebody happy. Hmm. Next question: Who's got it? When you came down to DC, you said you learned a little bit about what people tick. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious what you know what you learned and how you learned it. Yeah. So I grew up in uh, Western Pennsylvania, Johnstown, Pennsylvania, right outside of Pittsburgh, and. Uh, not very diverse. It's it's fairly uh, you know middle class, blue collar workers. And coming down here, um, you see the low the low the lows. You see the high the highs. And um, it was really a culture shock to me, not just from an economic standpoint, but also just from a cultural standpoint. Um, I never had interaction. I was never exposed to different cultures in Western Pennsylvania like I am down here. Um, so I can't even say that I was necessarily prepared for that. Uh, I had to learn, and I tell people all the time, my first six months on my first job as a case manager working with um, adult homeless singles, I probably learned more in that six months than I did ever through school. Mm-hmm. What's, what's, the, uh, what's the website address of this organization known as Shelter House? So our website is shelterhouse.org. What's the best part of your day? Best part of my day is when I walk out the door and I understand that I gave people the same opportunity that I may have had, or I have helped somebody reach their full potential. We grew dramatically as an organization since I've been there for the sole purpose of, I wanna make sure that our employees are getting opportunities and given opportunities like I have. So Let it's me have really the website address one more time. Sure, it's uh, shelterhouse.org. We've been speaking with Joe Meyer, Executive Director and CEO of Shelter House here on Executive Leaders Radio. We've also had the opportunity of speaking with Charlie Malamut, President of Malamut Enterprises, Nicholas, how do you pronounce your last name? Cerebro. Cerebro, Managing Director of The Clearing. Solomon Lutfi, President and CEO of TriVision. And again, most recently, Joe Meyer, Executive Director and CEO of Shelter House. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, Brian Chandler, Pretoria Law, Joe Applebaum, Potomac Companies, Jennifer Wapas, Pagnato Carp, Tim Young, Young Marketing Consulting, and Anne-Marie Spadafore, for giving me a hand structuring the questions and hopefully providing our listening audience an educational and entertaining show. I'd like to thank Praturi Law for hosting us today. What is the website address of Praturi Law and how do you spell it? It's PraturiLaw.com. That's P-R-O-T-O-R-A-E-L-A-W.com. And uh, thank you for joining us today. Do have a nice day. Don't forget to visit our website, ExecutiveLeadersRadio.com. That's ExecutiveLeadersRadio.com. Do have a nice day. Thank you for joining us today. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Executive Leaders Radio, the region's premier radio show highlighting local executive leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the show here on 1500 AM. You can learn more about Executive Leaders Radio by visiting executiveleadersradio.com or tune in next time right here on 1500 AM. That's executiveleadersradio.com.